listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Most of the time when I talk with people, they're on this journey that they never intended to be on. We don't marry expecting to have marital problems down the road. We generally think that we have beaten the odds. Sure, we know that about half of marriages end in divorce. Sure, we know that that basically means it's a coin flip, except for we assume that we have beat it. Our love has beat it out. The reason I know that is because I've had the opportunity of talking with so many people before they get married. They come to me because they are seeking premarital help. In fact, at one point, I was seeing all of the people getting married in a number of local churches. If they were going to get married, they had to come through my office for three sessions uh, just to make sure that they uh, were clear about what was about to happen. Now, during those three sessions, no matter how hard I tried, I could see the resistance because no matter what I warned against, no matter what I pushed towards, they realized one thing or they thought one thing. They thought that they had already beat the issues. They thought that in their case, their love would carry them through. Now, I know that that wasn't the case because many of them came back later on for help. And part of what I've recognized is, you know, we, we end up somewhere in this marriage crisis, not because we intended on it, not because uh, we headed in that direction, but we find ourselves there anyway. And then the question is how you get back. You know, that's been the efforts I've put forth throughout my career to help couples find their way back. And what I've realized is that there is often a very twisted path of recovery, It's not a clear and straight one. As much as I would like to clarify and make it uh, a clear path for you, it's not ever clear. It's difficult. It can be difficult to follow the path because of all of the twists and all of the turns and all of the gut-wrenching drops and all of the tough climbs. And yet, person after person, couple after couple have found their way to the other side. They've gone through that jungle, through those woods to get to the other side where they have a relationship that they both cherish and love. I just happen to know that to do that takes bravery on your part, and that's, that's why you're here. But the real question is how you stay in the process because there are these lurking thoughts that we have in our own head, these places where we think (laughs) that there's something else going on that's not our fault. And this is, to my thinking, the fastest way to make sure you don't get there. This is the fastest path to failure in your efforts to save a relationship. And it's the NMF syndrome, not my fault syndrome. We all play it. I mean, it's a little tape that we all like to play in our head. Not my fault. Not my fault. It's not my fault that we're at this place. Now, we might have this sneaking suspicion that it is our fault. You know, if you've ever listened to the words uh, to Margaritaville, you, you know it starts with a guy who says, uh, some people say that there's this woman to blame, but, um, you know, it's not my fault. And then eventually at the end, it's my own fault is what he comes to. And that's part of the realization that sometimes we have more responsibility than we initially are willing to say. 
not my fault is not about really fault, right? It's about saying I, I didn't have anything to do with where we've ended up. And there's a problem with that. So just for a moment, I want you to think about three positions. Let's put you on a dot that says fault. And to your left, you see blame. And to your right, you see responsibility. So let's talk about what happens when you're living in these different positions on there. First, about uh, the fault is about who caused something, right? If you're looking at an accident and you say, whose fault is that? You're looking for who caused that moment. What, what, who made the wrong decision? Who made the wrong choice? If you've ever been in a car accident, you know how this happens. You know, sometimes they say, oh, it's no fault. And sometimes I've recognized that they choose no fault because they don't want to assign blame. But no fault in a car accident is, is often about multiple factors at one time. There's this other time, though, that maybe it's entirely somebody else's fault or entirely your fault, right? At one point, uh, some years ago, I was driving my car, and we had stopped at a stoplight uh, in downtown, and I saw this person coming off the ramp and not hitting his brakes, and I knew we were going to get hit. Now, I had been stopped at a red stoplight. My brake lights were on. It was broad daylight. There was absolutely no reason that I couldn't have been seen except for he wasn't paying attention. It was all his fault. In fact, that's what happened with the insurance company. They immediately called me and said, we assume all responsibility for this, right? Not partial responsibility, all responsibility. There are times when somebody is at fault. Sometimes an accident happens and somebody is 100% at fault, which is not the point of the not my fault syndrome. So now let's look over to the left and there's blame. Blame is where the finger gets pointed. Blame is where you hold someone accountable for what has happened by pointing the finger and saying, you did this, right? Not just this is your fault, but you did this. Blame goes your way. Now let's stretch the other way to responsibility. Responsibility is not the outward pointing, but it's moving inward to asking, where do I have control? At what place do I have control? Not what happened, not whose fault is it, but where do I have control? The problem with the not my fault syndrome is it keeps you stuck one step back. It doesn't have you moving towards a solution. It keeps you pointing the finger. Many times I've had people come into my office and proclaim it's not my fault, to which I'll say, but now what? It's not about where it happened, but now what? And yet, let's drive back a little bit further. And what I've realized is that almost, almost 100% of the time, two people are responsible for where the relationship has gone. Two people had responsibility for where the relationship would go. Two people made actions and made choices along the way that led to where they are now. Thomas Leonard, one of the fathers, at this point grandfathers, of life coaching, called this present perfect. Thomas Leonard said that present perfect is not a grammatical uh, case. It's actually a representation that this present moment for you, where you are right now, 
is the perfect representation of everything that has come up till now. Everything has led to here. Every action that comes your way, every action that you take, every event around you brings you to here and now, which is simply to say, here is where you are. Not necessarily how did you get here, but here's where you are. But along the way to be able to say, and I played a part in the dance that got us to here. So how did you get here? Think about that for a minute. How did your relationship get here? Was it a conscious choice to have the relationship go in this direction or was it unconscious? In other words, did somebody choose to drive the relationship into the ground? Not choose actions that might lead to that, but actually chose on the choice to bring the relationship down. Or did it happen unconsciously, maybe even as a side effect of some choices, but definitely unconsciously? This is almost always the case that it's unconscious as people made choices that didn't lead to the relationship building, but led away from it unconsciously. The second question I would have is, was it malicious or benign? In other words, did somebody set out to do harm to the relationship or was it more about benign neglect where they didn't focus on the relationship? Sometimes it's because they didn't even have the knowledge about that. They didn't even know how to go about that. Which brings up my third question. Was it due to actions in the direction of the relationship falling apart or inactions toward the relationship building? Were there conscious, malicious actions? Or was it more a matter of unconscious, benign inaction? A lot of times people start using the wrong thought process because they're looking at the symptoms, not the causes, but the symptoms of the problem. The symptoms end up being things like infidelity. Affairs are a result of disconnection and lack of boundaries. The disconnection is more about the cause. Sometimes the symptoms are the lack of passion, the lack of connection, the lack of uh, feeling good about each other, maybe even the presence of resentments and the presence of anger and the presence of hurt. Those are symptoms, though, of the underlying cause. So let's go back to what that underlying cause really is. The major underlying cause of marital issues is disconnection. The connection that led to wanting to get married began to fall apart. Maybe it wasn't nurtured, but maybe you made choices along the way and the disconnection as it builds begins to be painful. And the more painful it becomes, the harder it is to get back towards that connection. You don't want to connect with somebody when there's pain between you, when there's hurt between you. So as you move away from each other, you begin to experience more and more disconnection. The arc of disconnection, as I've talked about in other podcasts, that's a natural progression unless you work on the relationship, knowing the next pieces. Because the next cause of all of this is pause. Call it the pause button marriage. I call it that because people think that they hit the pause button. Now, I can remember it in my own life, those busy early days when it's tempting to hit the pause button because you've got so much going on. I was in school, I had jobs, we had kids, we had all of these other things going on. 
and we all do. But some couples make the mistake of hitting the pause button. They think, you know, once I get the right career going, and once the kids are old enough, and once we have enough money, once we can travel, once we have the house we want, once we, you know, have conquered some task along the way, then we'll come back together and unpause our relationship and enjoy our later years. But they forget one crucial point of relationships. Relationships are either growing or receding. There's no pause. They're either growing with connection or they're receding with disconnection. There is no pause. So when they come back and unpause, they realize that what has happened is the relationship, the connection, the lifeblood of the relationship has been choked off. And there's nothing left. There's no life left in the relationship. There's nothing to unpause anymore. And they're looking at each other and realizing they don't know each other and they're completely disconnected. So the pause of a relationship is one of those causes that gets in our way. The other cause of marital problems is just a simple lack of knowledge. I've seen it repeatedly working with those young couples. The lack of knowledge of what they're trying to create. You see, the foundation of a successful marriage is building what I call being a we. We are a unit. There's a you and a me that form a we or should form a we after they get married, and many people don't do it. And the problem is that if you don't form the we, it quickly becomes you versus me. It's no longer you and me, which is where most marriages start. It's a you versus me where there's a power struggle and a push apart, which leads to the disconnection. When people don't understand the we, they don't know that's what they're building towards. And then when the fears get stirred, they don't know what to do with them, and they allow that to push them apart. So here's the problem with not my fault. Three pieces come into play when we play not my fault. The first one is that we end up in paralysis because if it's not my fault, it's also not for me to fix. You know, if I can point to the other person and say, it's not my fault, it's that person's fault, then it's on the other person to fix it, freezing us in paralysis. The second problem is it puts us in waiting mode. Now, notice that we've already talked about this major issue that comes into marriages where they're paused. Waiting is about staying paused. And so if we allow not my fault to be our thought process, we're likely to wait to let the other person decide to take action. If it's their fault, we can shift it to them and let them take action. The third thing that happens is that we, it puts us in a position of no control. If it's not my fault, if I can blame it on you, then I have no control over the situation. It's kind of like when we remove ourselves from responsibility, we also hand away our control of the situation. If I'm not responsible, I have no control. Which means that we have to make another shift. Because as I said, the the whole issue of fault is tied to where you've been, not where you want to go. When we are playing not my fault, we're constantly faced backwards. We're constantly faced towards history, to what's already come and brought us to this present. Brought us to this point that is a collection of all those places. Thomas Leonard's present perfect. And here's where it really gets to be 
uh, interesting and powerful. When you finally realize that fault does not matter in recovering a relationship. Fault does not need to be in the equation. You don't need to figure out whose fault it was because I can give you the answer. Almost 100% of the time, it's both people who have played into the pattern. It's both people who have been part of the process. Both people have a piece of the process that has gotten them to here. In fact, sometimes it's almost a ping pong match as they've built in the process and they've done damage to the relationship. And so both people have a place where they can look and blame and realize that it's not gotten them anywhere. Fault doesn't matter in the process of recovery. It only matters if you want to assign blame and look for who to hold as the responsible party for this, not the responsibility of moving forward. So now we have some choices. First is the choice of responsibility. I like the word, not how we necessarily use it. Responsibility is our ability to respond. It's built into the word, responsibility. We get to choose how we will respond to situations as they come our way. Sometimes we get that all kind of mixed up from childhood times when somebody would ask in a situation, who's responsible for this? Because what that meant was, who can I blame for this? Who caused this? Not who's responsible for this, like who's going to step up and fix this, but who did this and caused this. So now we have to reclaim the meaning of responsibility, the ability to respond, the choice to step into responding, the choice to step back into that process. When we choose responsibility, then we have other options in front of us. I'll quickly tell you the difference between blame and responsibility. Let's say that you're in a building that's burning. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's somewhere else, but you're in a building that's burning. It's going up in flames. You can stand in the middle of that building as it's burning around you and ask the question, who caused this? Who made this problem? Who's burning this down? Or you can ask the question, what do I need to get out to safety? And how can I help as many as possible do the same? That's the difference between blame and responsibility. What happens if you blame? Nothing changes in the process. Nothing changes in the potential for getting out safely. What changes that is when somebody says, I choose to change this. I choose to move forward. I choose to take responsibility, which brings in a choice of control. We only have so many things that we can control in life, and generally people try to control things that they cannot The process of finding control is determining what you can control. So if you think for just a moment about your sphere of concern, that includes a big circle around you about your family and your kids and your neighborhood and your spouse and all these other things around you of which you have concern but not control. If you pull the circle back to control, what do you control? I believe you control three things your attitude, your aspirations, and your actions. That's it. Your attitude, your aspirations, and your actions. Your aspirations are the things you hope for, the things you want to move towards. Now notice, I didn't even say you have control of your fears, which are kind of the opposite of your aspirations. They'll just pop into your head naturally. It's just how our brain works. It works on fear factors. So we're looking for the things that are a risk, and we can then choose... Not what makes us fearful, but what we want to move towards. 
when we begin to move towards things, when we choose to move towards things, then we have control over where we move because we also have power, control over our attitude. I'm not talking about having a positive attitude, you know, always having a smile on your face and always being upbeat. I'm talking about having an attitude that you can work through it. You have a choice of your attitude. One attitude can be, I can't do this. I give up. I walk away. The other attitude that you can choose is to say, I will continue to work on this and I will figure it out. When we choose that attitude... We continue to look for the solutions, the possibilities. We look for the ways we can move forward. We choose that as a place to control. The third thing we get to control are our actions, what we say, what we do, how we act towards other people. In the process of controlling that, then we get lots of potential for bringing that connection back into the relationship because we get to make a shift toward the connection and the relationship rather than away from it that's the result of the blame. Remember, there are three C's to focus on when you're trying to restore your relationship, and none of them are about what caused this. The first C is connection, connecting with a spouse. Remember, connection is one of the causes of the problem. So when we follow that first C, We're choosing to connect with a spouse, taking responsibility for that. Our second C is changing yourself. Remember, we all grow stagnant. We all have places where we can change and grow and be better people. And so in the process of changing ourselves, we can begin to choose how we want to be different, how we want to be in our lives, how we want to move forward. When we do that, then suddenly we have shifts in our own life. We have new vistas in our own life, new ways of understanding our own personal responsibility for how our life goes, which leads us to the third C of creating a new path. Simply put, that's about realizing that we missed the path to we, but now we can bring that along because we is in many ways an internal structure that we think in our own head of how we reference the relationship and understand the relationship and understand the dynamics around the relationship. Even if a spouse is not ready to step into we, we can begin making choices based on being a we. These are the pieces that I talk about in my system, the Save the Marriage system. This is the system that's designed to help you move towards being a we by understanding what's happened by understanding the intricacies of that, the the pattern of that, and moving to something new, something that is sustainable. My three C's are outlined also in my book, How to Save Your Marriage in Three Simple Steps. If you're interested in the system, you can find that by going to savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. If you're interested in that book, How to Save Your Marriage in Three Simple Steps, you can find that by going to savethemarriage.com slash book. That's savethemarriage.com slash book. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.